Good morning. Man, great, great day. Welcome to those of you online with us. We're so glad you are here. Um, I want to ask Dustin, stand up in the booth there. Just stand up higher or something. <laughs> Dustin Wilson, he's, he's been with us for a little over, I guess, a year now on staff in a way working in the booth, um, but he's going to be coming on staff full-time. He is taking the communications role that Haley Edge has done for the past three years, and so Dustin's been a part of this family for about nine years now, and um, so he's jumping in and taking the communications role, and that includes the booth, but um, just thank you so much to everything that you do, Dustin. I don't know if you realize this, we still have about 150 live streams every week um, that homes that, and, and phones that our service is being streamed into, and so we don't really know how many people that um, equals, and not really concerned about it, but it does allow us to have a much bigger reach than just simply who is in the room, and Dustin is a huge, huge reason for that, and so we're excited for him coming on board full-time and um, going to be a huge blessing to us as a church. A story um, came across my news feed um, probably about three or four years ago out of Germany. There was a um, retirement home, and they noticed that there were two older gentlemen who went missing, and they could not find them no matter where they looked. And so they called the police, and the police begin in this search. They put out alerts all over um, Germany, um, where this story was from, and looked for these men everywhere. And finally, finally they found them. They were with 75,000 other crazy, screaming fans of heavy metal music <laughs> at the largest heavy metal music concert in the world. And they had smiles on their faces, and they were so happy. And the police questioned them, and unfortunately, they could not hear a word the police said. <laughs> but they had a great, great time, because they were doing something that they loved. Which brings a question to mind, what happens when something gets so deep within your bones that it actually becomes part of who you are? What happens when something becomes so much a part of your heart and soul that it really becomes who you are? And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of walk through a few different psalms. And really the psalms are these songs and prayers of the Hebrew people. A people who live life on the margin of society, oppressed, persecuted. And while much of the Bible is God's word to his people, the Psalms really are humanity's words back to God. And they attempt to make an account for the misery and the chaos that we so often experience in this world, as well as the joy and the celebration. And they're written by slaves and kings, people who are hurt and broken, people who are scared and scarred, yet still faith-filled. They express sorrow and pain, and yet are still filled with hope and faith. 
And if I were to say anything about the Psalms, you can, of course, teach the Psalms. But the Psalms were really made to be felt. And if anything about the Psalms rings true, it's this, that it was the prayer book of Jesus. Jesus mentions quotes from Psalms a number of times. Psalm 8, 22, 31, 35, 37, 41, 69, 78, 82, 110, 118. All Jesus' words quoting this powerful book, this collection of psalm, songs and poems and prayers to God. Maybe one of the most memorable to us is Psalm 22. Jesus' words from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. And we ask the question, well, did God really abandon Jesus? And we know the answer is no. But Jesus felt as if he had. As I said, this is the Psalms, and it's truly about feeling and our relationship with the Almighty. And so as we do these psalms, and I've kind of done this series um, every other year for the past several years now, the, the first time we walk through this psalm, I just want you to listen to it. Because for centuries, people didn't have a Bible to hold in their hands and look at and, and, and study. They listened to the word read and the word spoken by the community of believers. And so this morning, I just want you to simply listen to the words, and I'm not even going to tell you what psalm it is, because I know there's some of you that are just going to turn there. And I want you just to hear these words. I will exalt you, Lord. For you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. To you, Lord, I called. I called for help and you healed me. Lord, my God, you brought me up out of the realm of the dead. Lord, my God, you did not let my enemies gloat over me. Sing the praises of the Lord. You, His faithful people, praise His holy name. For His anger lasts only a moment, but His favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, my holy mountain stood firm. But Lord, when you turned your face away, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for help. 
What is gained if I am silenced? What is gained if I go down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will the dust proclaim your faithfulness? Hear me, Lord. Hear me, Lord, and show me mercy. Because, Lord, you are my help. You have turned my mourning into dancing. And you have removed the sackcloth. And you have clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. It's interesting, this psalm is labeled a psalm for the dedication of the temple. Because if you were to read and listen to this psalm, it doesn't seem like what would be read at the dedication of a temple. And so maybe there's the possibility that it's just mislabeled. But I think maybe something rings true in this. That this is the story of Israel. And not just the story of Israel, this is the story of David. And if we're quite honest, it's your story. And it's my story. And, and like other psalms of thanksgiving, it follows this pattern of distress, prayer, rescue, and thanks. Where, where someone is crying out to God because they are in need because they have experienced a really difficult time. They are in the middle of despair and darkness. And God somehow reaches down and rescues them. And because they understand that God has picked them up, that He has saved them, they thank Him for it. But the other part of this pattern is the psalm works its way through and then it repeats itself. It says it, and then it says it again. And I think there are several reasons, because all of us understand that just because we've made it through the first part of the journey doesn't mean that's the end of it. Just because we've made it through a really difficult stretch, a really difficult season, doesn't mean we won't experience it again. Because no matter how hard we try, we cannot escape those difficult times. Those moments in our life that are hard. And here's the crazy thing about moments. There are some moments, and it tends to be the ones that we enjoy, the ones that give us excitement and joy. It seems like those moments just fly by. And in an instant, they're in the rearview mirror. But then there are other moments that seem to last forever. They seem to go on seasons, months, years of our life where they can't go by fast enough. Have you been there? 
where you want more than anything to just hit fast forward and skip over this moment and get to the next. And it's funny that the ones that I want to experience that go by so fast are the ones that I typically take the most for granted. And it's the ones I wish I had. I was telling someone the other day, I was holding their, their little baby and I was thinking, I loved when my kids were that size and I could go home from church on a Sunday afternoon and I could watch the Cowboys. No, 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 no. I mean, because they hadn't been good since I was like in eighth grade. <laughs> I was in high school, I guess. But this year, they're going to win the Super Bowl. We know that. But, but I remember just falling asleep on the couch with my kids just laying on my chest. And like what an incredible joy that was. And that is gone in an instant. But there are other moments, other seasons, other things that I've gone through, things that you've gone through that you want to be in the rearview mirror, that you want to go by in an instant, but they can't. Back when I lived in Cleburne, um, for a while, Randy Harris, who many of you know, was one of kind of my mentors. And one of the things he really encouraged me to do was to take a silent retreat. And so I said, okay, that, that'll be great. I shouldn't be that hard. So I'm going to Go and I called. There's a retreat center in Glen, Road, Glen Rose that let ministers come for free. And so I told my wife I was going to go, and she was like, yeah, I got, got the kids. I got everything. You go enjoy your time. And so I pulled up to this retreat center, and I got there, and I got my Bible, and I went and sat outside on the porch, and it was like, man, this is amazing. And I started reading, and I started praying and it felt like just this immense time had gone by, and I looked at my watch, and it had been like 30 minutes. And I've never tried to be silent that long. But I made it about four hours. And I called my wife, and I just said, this is maddening. I cannot do it. And so I left. And I went home. But the beautiful thing about that is when I got to the point where I could no longer handle it, I could drive away. And everything was fine. But for us, those moments that we experience are not something that we can just get in our car and drive away from. There are moments that we're stuck in. There are moments that we can't escape. What I found in those moments is sometimes the silence is far more deafening than the loudest noise we could ever hear. And you can't just get up and leave. Because there are the things that, when I was young, they were a big deal. You remember taking a test in high school or college on a Friday and having to wait till Monday to get your grade? Kids these days don't understand that. It's instantaneous. But you had to wait through the weekend. 
wondering if you're going to be grounded for the next three weeks. (laughs) Wondering if your parents were going to kill you. But then there were more heart-wrenching times. When Cammy was pregnant with Kaylee for the, our fourth child, there was something that was not right with her heart. Something that showed up on a test. And they said, you're going to have to go to Dallas to a specialist. And as every one of you know who's tried to go to a specialist, you don't call and get a specialist to see you tomorrow. You get a specialist to see you in six to eight weeks. And I don't know how long we waited. I didn't even ask how long it was, if she remembers. But it seemed like an eternity. Waiting and not knowing. And praise God that everything was fine. But that time in between, the waiting, the uncertainty, made the time go so incredibly slow. And what David says is his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but joy, rejoicing comes in the morning. Sometimes I think we think the first part of that's supposed to be flipped. See, David says his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Sometimes I wonder if we think it's his favor lasts a moment, but his anger lasts a lifetime. Some of you probably grew up and maybe were taught something like that. That God was angry. That God was vengeful. But what you're going through does not reflect how God feels about you. God loves you, and He has been passionately pursuing you. He is crazy about you because you are His child. See, what we confuse, I think, is the consequences. It's not God's anger. Because so many times, I think divine punishment comes through the consequences that we experience. And sometimes those consequences don't go away overnight. Those consequences don't go away with I'm a sorry or I messed up or please forgive me. Sometimes those consequences stick around and follow us. Sometimes those consequences last And that does not mean that is God's anger. That just means we're having to deal with what we have entered into. And yet still, He gives us grace in the moment. See, but His says, and and David, I think, understands this maybe more than any other one who writes the Psalms. Weeping may last for the night, It may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And here's one thing I've learned. Is there are some nights that do not end with the sunrise. There are some nights 
that don't end just because the light of day has dawned. There are some nights that just keep going. There are nights where the hope of the sunrise of a new day brings hope that this night will end. For Jesus in Gethsemane, praying, begging for God to take this cup from Him. And as the night slowly fades into day, the night for Jesus does not end. As He walks up the hill to the cross, as He breathes His last breath, as He's placed in the tomb, the sunrise doesn't bring end to the darkness of night. It's just a reminder. And in David's eyes, this feeling of God, where are you? God, have you hidden your face? Because he's trying to make sense of life. And he's trying to make sense of the pain and the hurt that we all have experienced and trying to explain how the world works. Because in our mind, we have this sense that if things are going well, then God is pleased with us. And if things are not going well, or we're experiencing difficulty, then God is not pleased. But David understands that something deeper is happening beneath the surface. That our experiences and our circumstances don't equate to God's feeling for us. They don't equate to God's love for us. But he's trying to make sense of a world. A world where he stands, King David, as king. Where he stands in a place of power. But I think one of the things we have to understand in our culture, in a culture that is so driven by progress and gaining ground and getting bigger and better, and that's become an idol in our culture, but when success becomes your idol, success goes to your head and failure goes to your heart. And it becomes something that's so heavy and so deep within our soul. And David says, when you hid your face, Lord, I was dismayed. And it seems to be a fear throughout the Psalms. It occurs over and over again where the psalmist say, God, please do not hide your face from me. God, you have hidden your face from me. God, when will I see your face? And I think the question is, does God hide His face? Does He hide His face from His people? Does He hide His face from Israel? Does He hide His face from David? And I wonder if there are progressions in the psalm of thanksgiving that David speaks that really equate to his life and what he's feeling. I wonder if the distress he feels as he's running from King Saul and the prayer, God save me, and that God does rescue him and make him king. 
lead to this moment where David is so thankful that God has saved him and rescued him. That it leads to this moment where he stands on this holy mountain in Jerusalem. Atop his palace roof. Saying, I will never be shaken. That he sees Bathsheba. And then he sends for her. And sleeps with her. And has her husband killed. And has a son with her. Who he's going to spend the rest of his life dealing with the consequences of that sin. If David doesn't feel that sense of, but when you hid your face from me, I was dismayed. Right, and that's the question. Did God hide his face from David? Did he forget David? Did he leave him in that place of despair? Because there's another story where God hides his face. God has spoken to his servant Moses. And Moses has said, I'm not going unless you go with me. And God promises Moses he will go with him. He promises. And Moses says, then show me your glory. And God looks at Moses. And he says, okay. I'll give you the very thing you've asked for. I'm going to pass by. But when I do, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to cover you with my hand. Because if you see my face, you will die. Isn't it amazing that the reason God does not show His face in that moment is because it is an act of grace. And yet, even though Moses cannot see God, he can feel His presence that He is there and He has not abandoned him, and He has not left him. So much so that He has the courage to follow and obey God in really difficult circumstances. With people who are frustrated and don't want to follow. People who don't want manna, and who don't want to drink from a rock, and don't want to wander around the wilderness. But yet still Moses leads people. And him not showing his face was actually, actually an act of grace. Because in that moment, he was there. And as his moments turned from despair to thanks, He realizes what God has done. 
But what God is always worried about when we found that success, I think is what happens in the life of King David again. As he stands upon that mountain, secure, thankful, but becoming prideful. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy as he warns the people of Israel. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with the venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of the hard rock and He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something you your ancestors have never known to humble you and test you that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant which He swore to you, to your ancestors as it is today. See, there's this tendency in our life as things go well to forget that it was God that rescued us. That it was God that brought us up out of the pit. That it was God that lifted us out of the realm of the dead. We forget So easy. But I think it's those dark nights. Those dark nights that remind us that we're incapable of this on our own. That we don't have the strength and we don't have the power to lift ourselves up. To raise ourselves from the dead. That we need Jesus to do that because we are incapable. And I think the reason this psalm spoke so much to me right now is we have so many people right now in our church who are hurting and who are sick, who are in the hospital, who are having surgery, who are battling cancer who've lost a loved one. And you're begging and pleading with God that the sunrise will bring an end to the night. And I want to just tell you this morning, it might, but there's a chance it might not. And even if the sunrise doesn't bring an end to the night, 
I want you to know this. God is still there. And He loves you. And maybe the absence you feel is simply God's grace giving you enough to make it through the next moment. Because it's those dark nights that remind us we don't have all we need forever. We need God to sustain us moment by moment, day after day. And we need Him. And so this morning as we kind of wrap up, we're going to sing and just give you some space if you're in one of those dark nights. And if you're hurting or you're uncertain or you're scared or you're mourning, our shepherds, their, their spouses, they're going to be around the back of the auditorium. They would love to just pray with you, to pray over you, to pray for you, to pray for God's healing for God's rescue and to simply walk with you through the difficult darkness of night. Because sometimes the most powerful thing we can do when someone is in that dark night is simply hold their hand and walk by their side. Right? That's what God does for Moses. He uses his hand to shield him from what he cannot and does not need to experience because he's right next to Moses in the same way he's right next to you. And so that's the invitation this morning as we worship. Our shepherds, their spouses will be in the back whatever we could do to minister to you, to help you. If you've never given your life to Christ, what a great day to do that. Being baptized into Him and raised, rescued out of the pit of despair and darkness into a new world. Father, today we thank You for the gift of Jesus. And we thank You that through the long dark nights, you were there, giving us everything we need, holding our hand as you walk beside us. Father, we pray your blessing on us today, and we plead and beg for your mercy as children of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.